0: We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll be starting in, we'll be starting in first, uh, verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians 5. When I was in high school, uh, I had chores to do with my sister, I don't know if you had Jobs that you had to do around the house when you were a young person, but when uh, I was in high school, we would we would come home after school and there was there was some work to be done, and and uh, it was my job in particular to vacuum the floor. I was the I was done. I can't remember what my sister was supposed to do, but I was supposed to be hoovering, right? If you're British, that's what I was supposed to be doing. But the problem was we would come home from school and we would of course have to have a snack because we'd already been at least two hours since we'd eaten anything. And then we would settle in and we would watch this uh, soap opera. It's called Santa Barbara. And we would settle in, settle in there. My sister and I, uh, probably 17 and 15, and we'd watch Santa Barbara. And before long, we would get caught up in the drama and the excitement what was happening with Cruz and all the people there in Santa Barbara, California. And uh, Before we knew it, my mom would be home, right? So we would hear her drive up in the driveway, which would cause me to spring into action, then start vacuuming, right? My mom had always been really clear. I want you to vacuum before I get home. So somehow she was angrier that I was vacuuming when she got home than if I hadn't vacuumed at all because she just said, it's just so disrespectful, like you wait all this time, you're eating, you're watching TV, you're doing nothing, but you won't just accomplish the task that I gave you. She'd walk in, there she'd find us, work undone, watching TV, extra work to do because we were making a mess, and and we'd be in trouble. That's that's the way that it would go. I would forget, I'd lose track of time, and I'd be in trouble. So as students of the Bible, we know that it teaches that Jesus is going to be returning again, and we know that there are some things that we ought to be doing, but we get distracted, right? The same way that my sister and I would get distracted by our soap opera, we get distracted by the things in our life, by our work and by our studies, by our kids and the practices and illnesses and all the things that we have to do. We have to, we have to paint up the house, we have to do the yard, and we have this and that and work meetings and vacations, and pretty soon we are uh, distracted. And For too many of us, we live in that distraction and then the end comes and the Lord finds us unprepared for that time. So today we're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to start uh, there in 1 and look at Paul's instruction for the church there, how they should live in the light of the fact that Christ is coming again. He says, Christ is coming. What are we supposed to do? They're waiting for Christ, and we're today still waiting for Christ. And so Paul tells them what to do so that they will not be surprised when it happens. And so as we read through our text, I want you to be listening for these three ideas today. No one knows the time of Christ's return. You should base your obedience on Christ's coming and then the fact that we should live up to our calling. Here's where, here's where it comes from, 1 Thessalonians 5.1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Verse 7, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Father, as we open your word, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would uh, allow us, Lord, to hear and understand what Paul is saying, not just to the believers in Thessalonica, but to us today here at IBCBI. I pray that you would help me, Lord, to decrease, that you might increase in this time, be glorified. I pray, draw people to yourself, help us to be obedient, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here's our our first point. Don't delay obedience because no one knows the time of Christ's return. When Paul is writing in chapter 4, they're talking about what happens to the people who die before Jesus comes back. And he he writes and he addresses that at the end of chapter 4. And they want to talk about the when. What happens when these things are going to happen. And Paul refuses to answer that question for them. He doesn't tell them when. He basically just says this. We don't have to talk about that because we have already talked about the fact that no one knows when Christ is going to come back. It's going to happen at an unexpected time. Like a thief that comes in the night, we cannot predict it. We don't know when it will happen, but we do know that it will happen, and we know how it will happen. It will happen unexpectedly. That's what he tells them. And we can see from what Paul says that the people there had been guessing about Christ's return. And they keep people keep doing that right up into our day today. They keep guessing about when Jesus will return. And Paul says it's fruitless. There's no reason for us to spend time speculating about when Jesus will come back because we can't figure it out. We cannot know the time of his return. And so the instruction he gives here is not about uh, discerning the times unless you would say his discerning the time, is about being prepared. We know we're closer to the return than ever, and so the instruction is about being prepared. Back in Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells the story about a thief that comes in the night. And he says, if the owner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed up and kept the thief from breaking in, right? The story is about being prepared. And so that's where Paul picks up this That the Thessalonians need to know one thing about the return of Christ, and that's to be ready. Then he uses this kind of picture with uh, the other people in verse 3. Those people are going around and saying, Peace and security, peace and security. Then sudden destruction comes on them. So as believers, we're prepared for the return of Christ, even though we don't know exactly when it will happen. Uh, But there are a, a host of other people, maybe most other people around us, don't know that he's coming back or they don't even care that he's coming back. They just continue on in their normal lives. They believe that they have peace and they believe that they have security and they'll believe that right up until the time that they are overcome by the judgment of God. So when Paul is saying this, right, that there's moments going to happen that will take some people by surprise, he's not just really, uh, I think, echoing the teaching of Jesus, right? If you remember in the Gospels, Jesus talks about one will be working and one's left and one's taken, and that he gives a few examples of that. It also is really reminiscent. It brings to mind what it was like in the days of Noah, when he said the rain starts to fall and the people just continue on in their life up until the time they realize. We need to be inside that boat. And by then it is too late. When we live with the the light of judgment before us, we're living out this major difference between those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. A person who has no concern over the return of Jesus really is not that surprising to me. But it is a sign that they are without faith. We would all recognize there are people, if you uh, give them a poke and say, what are you, they would say, I'm a Christian. But they live like uh, anything else, right? We have people in our own families probably. They say, of course I'm a Christian, of course I'm a believer. But they live just like the rest of the world. They have no concern over the fact that Christ is coming again. When people live that way, it's a very great sign that they are not in Christ. So we should live obediently because we don't know when he is coming. It's not something that we can put off for some future day. I'm going to get all this together when I get older. We don't don't know when it's going to happen. Here's the second thing. As believers, we should base our obedience on Christ's coming. So in verse 4, Paul says, "But But you are not in darkness, brothers. You are not in darkness, brothers and sisters. There are some people who live their lives any way that they want. But the truth is, we as believers, as followers of Christ, should be living our ways in a very particular way. Paul gives us these two metaphors. You're children of the light, you're children of the day. Then he gives the the opposite, right, to sort of contrast. He says, those people are children of the night, they're children of darkness, to, to illustrate what we are not. As believers in Christ, we live in the Light. We're not children of darkness. We're not children of the night. Paul, Paul's point is that because we are children of the day, then our behavior should match our confession. It's not enough for us to say that we're following Christ and then live in a way that's contrary to that confession. Believers should live with obedience based on the fact that Christ is going to come. Then the third thing is this. Believers should live up to their calling. Believers uh, are people who name Christ. Christ is my Lord, and I want to follow his teachings. And so, if I'm going to follow the teachings of Christ, there are certain things that I just need to do. There are things that I need to do. So, children of the light, we belong to the day. And so, if you look at verse 8, it says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for the helmet, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So we're supposed to be living soberly. I don't think that just means we're not drinking. I think that living soberly means to live a serious life, live this kind of serious life, understanding that there is a judgment that is coming. We're supposed to be living full of love and faith and hope. We live a way that shows that we understand there is more to life than what I'm experiencing today. There's more that's happening. There's more that will happen in eternity. It's more than just this. We live with that kind of goal because we're destined for salvation. It's what he talks about in verses 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. It's just incredible that Paul would say... You, as a believer, are not destined for wrath. You can be sure that you're not ever going to encounter the wrath of God because you've been destined for salvation. We know that as followers of Christ, we will receive that salvation, not because of the things that we did, but because He died for us, because He was buried, because He was raised again, and He defeated death on our behalf. Then we get to verse 11. So what's the result of all of that? The result is this. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We're to, we're to build one another up. It's important for us to remember that uh, the believers in Thessalonica did not have an easy situation. There are times where we would look and think, well, they don't understand. Paul doesn't know about uh, ISIS. And Paul doesn't know that there are sometimes people that are arrested in KL that are planning to do bombings here and there. Paul doesn't know about these sorts of things. That, that kind of thing didn't happen all those years ago. Well, look at Acts uh, 17, if you will. Just flip to Acts 17 quickly. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas had been uh, arrested and thrown in the prison. They'd been beaten. And they were there in stocks, right, in the middle of the night, singing praise songs, and God sends this uh, earthquake, and uh, they ended up released, and the people, the, the leaders say, now please get out of our city. Please, just please go. And then... Starts in chapter 17, they go through uh, Amphipolis, they go to Apollonia, and they come to Thessalonica. When they come to Thessalonica, there's a synagogue. And so Paul goes in and he starts to preach. He preaches there three weeks in a row. And a lot of people are coming to faith. So many people, some Jews, mostly Greeks, are coming to faith that the local Jews get extremely upset. And so they go out, and Acts 17 says they gather up some rabble, and they put together a mob, and then after this mob is stirred up, the entire city is in an uproar. The house of some believers is uh, sort of broken into, and then Jason and some other people are uh, drug in before the leadership, and they're forced to pay what's probably a bribe to get them out. So the believers get to Paul, and they say, you've got to get out of here. And so Paul leaves Thessalonica, and then according to Acts 17, he goes to Berea. If you look in the maps, right, Berea is not too far away. Paul goes from Thessalonica over to Berea, and he starts the same process again. He goes into the synagogue where he finds a place to preach, and he starts working like that. Well, when the Jews back in Thessalonica hear that Paul is in Berea, they get together and they say, let's go on over to Berea and get him. And they go to Berea, and they or they whip up another crowd of people, and then Paul is again forced to run. He's he has to uh, he has to be evacuated out of Berea. We tend to think like this: we have this normal sort of persecution. We have uh, maybe. Uh, you're in a, a spot and you have a neighbor and your neighbor causes you a lot of trouble or you're in you're at work and you have a coworker, because you're a, a Christian and you're saying I have to live by certain standards, I have things that I can and can't do, then your coworker is constantly making your life difficult. They, they call in the boss and they tell lies on you and these different sorts of things. that kind of that kind of stuff happens. But if we were to move houses or if we were to change jobs, that kind of persecution would end it. Would end. I think there's a, a certain kind of persecutor that doesn't just say, let's persecute in Johor, but instead, hey, let's go to Malacca. I heard they transferred their work to Malacca. Let's go there and cause them trouble. Most of the time, persecutors just don't have the energy for that, right? They'll bother you if you're right in front. They'll, they'll give you some trouble in Thessalonica. But once you move on, they sort of, out of sight, out of mind, they forget. But these people are willing to, now let's go to the next town and continue to cause them Trouble. It was a difficult place Thessalonica was to be a believer. So Paul leaves Berea and he goes into Athens and he goes into Corinth and he writes this letter back to the Thessalonian church. This this letter, probably the first letter in the New Testament, is written just a matter of weeks or maybe a month after Paul's planted this church. He started the church, he gets chased out, he moves around, he gets to Corinth, and he's writing back to them already. And so these people are having a tough time. They want out of this mess, and understandably, they want their persecutors to get what they have coming to them. And Paul doesn't tell the church, you're right to feel that way. Paul says, just wait, because Christ is coming. Just wait. You be found waiting in holiness. And then he starts to explain to them, this is what the people around you are like. They, they're children of Darkness. You're children of light in the church, but those people around you are children of darkness. You're marked by faith and hope and love, and those people are uh, destined for wrath. Ultimately, which camp do you want to be in? So then Paul asks him, what are we supposed to do? Well, here's what you're supposed to do. In verse 11, you're supposed to love one another. So when you have believers and they're tempted to strike back and they're tempted to be disagreeable and they're tempted to be a bad witness, then uh, they have other people that are in relationship with them who should say, hey, you're not behaving the way that you should behave, right? This week, I was going to see someone and I'm in the parking garage and these nice Nepali guys are just trying to do their job and they're really frustrating me. But they're, they're in the right, they're doing their job, and I'm the one who's frustrated, and I just, I just spiral up, right? In a matter of a couple minutes, I'm just so mad at these Nepali guys. Someone's in the car with me, and had we had a better relationship, that person could say, settle down, right? What are you doing? What are you so upset about? And that's why we have to have people like that that love us and encourage us and build us up. The people who can look over and say, you are in the wrong. You should settle down what's the matter with you, right? What kind of example are you portraying to these people? We should remember who we are. I'm a child of light. We don't live like those people do. We're destined for eternity with Jesus and so we should be living like that. So believers, we're supposed to be doing the... Same thing today, we're supposed to be cultivating good relationships that allow us opportunity to see into the lives of other people and then speak to those people when we have opportunity. We've talked about this a number of times. We, we When we don't have a relationship, it's really hard for us to say, I don't think you're acting very maturely. That's almost always met with uh, anger or frustration or difficulty when you say that to a person you don't have much of a relationship with. And so we we need to look at ourselves. And if we're weak relationally, then we need to invite somebody out maybe this week for coffee or for lunch and start to build that relationship so we can get to that point. People can speak to us and hold us accountable. Paul, one of these believers, and I, and I think he would like us as followers of Christ to live in faith and hope and love, right? He knows how tough their persecution is in Thessalonica. He's been chased around by these people uh, a couple of times. And so Paul goes so far as to encourage them with this in verse 10. Whether you're awake or asleep, we might live in Christ. So he's telling them, you continue on to wait in holiness, and even if it kills you, it's going to be okay, because you are going to be with Christ. Imagine the kind of peace that gives to someone in persecution that, that the Apostle Paul is writing back and saying, even if this means the very end of your life, you're going to be Okay and think how much peace that should be giving us when we face a bad diagnosis or when we're uh, in a bad job situation or we're having family pressure or difficulty or financial issues that we think, even if this kills me it's not going to be that bad right? My mom used to always say they they can kill you but they can't eat you and I thought it's really not true but they could kill me and eat me but if we have proper perspective about some of these things right, we can be just reminded okay, I, I lost this I lost that, but ultimately things are going to be okay. We should be living in faithfulness. If we're not not careful, we'll slowly become like the world that's around us. Paul says in verse 4, but you, right? So in verse 3, he says there are people, and they're saying there's peace and security, but in sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, but you, you're children of light. You're not children of darkness. And Paul is saying that you, as a believer, are called to be different. If we go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about praying and fasting and giving. And he says all religious people pray, and all religious people fast, and all religious people give. And he says, when you give, Christian... You're supposed to give this way. But when you fast, this is how you're supposed to fast. But when you give, when you pray, when you fast, you are to be different. Jesus actually is very explicit and says, do not be like them. And I believe that's a, a real callback here from Paul when he's saying, but you, he's saying, that's what, in verse 3, that's what those people are like. They're children of darkness. But you, you're not like that. And so don't be like that. Do not be like then, and so we have to watch out in our own lives for places that we're tempted to compromise places that we're tempted to uh really give up on what, whether we should watch a certain thing or think a certain thing or or go to a certain place or the way that we're supposed to behave or things that we should or should not support we should have to watch for drift in those areas and so we might ask ourselves am i more like christ today than i was a year ago or am I more like the world today than I was a year ago? And if we're drifting, then we need to make sure that we identify those areas that we need to change. Then finally this, we have to live with love. We have to live with love. Faith and hope and love. And we really love two groups of people, according to this text. We we have the opportunity to love children of light, and we have the opportunity to love children of darkness and we would think it's easier to love children of light but if you have been in the church anytime at all it's just as hard to love other christians as it is to love lost people and sometimes it's harder because when lost people behave the way that they behave we say well of course they behave that way of course he lied to me of course she cheated me that's the way they are they don't know any better and we look at christians and we get upset and the first thing we want to do is change churches and so it's a difficult thing for us to do sometimes to love children of the light because we get mad. We get our feelings hurt and we, we, we think things should go one way and they're going a different way and we just have a special responsibility, I believe, to members of the body. To members of the body. That when we have issues that we work them out. And then we're to love children of the darkness. It just seems ridiculous to me that Jesus would say, love the people that persecute you and pray for you. Pray for them. That's what he says. He says, pray for people who persecute you. Love your enemies. That's what Jesus told us to do. Another place, uh, Paul's writing about what people are like, and he writes and writes, and then he says, and such were some of you. And so when we look at children of darkness, we can't ever forget what it was like to be one of the children of darkness. We ran around doing whatever we wanted to do. We followed our own desires. We went off the wrong direction. But someone came to us and shared the gospel. And when they shared the gospel, it changed us. We believed it and we were delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of heavenly light. Because someone loved us enough to tell us about Christ. We've been delivered. We've been delivered from God's wrath. So now we can live in full assurance Full assurance that we will obtain the salvation He has promised us. Right? We didn't come to Christ by faith and we don't maintain our faith by doing good works. We come to Christ by faith and our faith maintains us. When we come to Christ believing, we continue in Christ believing. But I would ask just, I guess, a final question. That's this. Can we live well... Can we really live well knowing that the people around us are saying peace and security, peace and security, peace and security. While we know in our hearts that they have no peace and they don't have any security at all. We know it's not true. We know it's not true. Can we be people of love and watch others head off to destruction? Can we be people of love if we really believe that they're headed for uh, judgment? and we don't give them any help to find a way out. Here's our sure promise of the Scripture. Christ is coming again. We can be sure. Christ is coming again. So may we be people who live in such a way that when He comes, that we are found being faithful. Not sacked out on the couch, right? Watching TV, crumbs all over us looking forward to when we're going to obey in the future, but that he comes and finds us obedient in that moment. Let's pray together. Lord, we really are grateful for the, the goodness of Christ and the, the hope that we have in him. We thank you for the, the power of the gospel and how it changed us. And Lord, brought us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of heavenly light. We thank you that, Lord, while we were yet sinners, that you loved us and died for us. And so we pray that you would uh, help these things to be on our mind, that you might come today. We just don't know. And so would you help us to live prepared? Would you help us to live so that we might be preparing other people to face that time as well? We ask that you would bless our families and our homes. We pray that you would go with us this week. We pray, Jesus, for your power to be unleashed in our lives, that we might uh, be gospel-sharing people. Like there would be a real difference in us that people would be drawn to, and they would ask, what makes you so different? Why are you the way that you are? So we pray that you would just bless our families, be those who are traveling this week. We, we dedicate ourselves to you. We ask that you would be glorified. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. We thank you for changing us. We thank you for giving us something for uh, for which we can live that's greater than ourselves. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys, for joining mine. All my video Look are all I really do hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll need you to come back on Tuesday. <laughs> I need you all we'll need you all here Tuesday night. Well, let's keep doing it over and over until we get until we get a good take. Uh, it seemed like there were a couple of things that I was gonna say.